You are Locked On Saints, your daily New Orleans Saints podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is good, Houdat Nation and Houdat family? Welcome in to another Wednesday edition here at Locked On Saints, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, here every single Monday through Friday, five days a week, covering your New Orleans Saints. Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts that your car will ever need at rockauto.com. Go and check out Rock Auto, and don't forget to let them know that Locked On sent you. For these midweek episodes, we'll always focus on a year-end review for the Saints here throughout the offseason, so we're going to talk about the run game and the quarterback room today. But before we get to that, we're going to start off with a look at all of the important dates that you need to know about this offseason heading up to the NFL Draft. We'll start off with franchise tagging, when that can begin, and when you can see some of your favorite draft prospects in action and much more. We'll talk about all of those, and then we'll get into our year-end review, starting off by wrapping up our look at the team as a whole in the run game. The Saints putting together another top five defensive performance in that phase of the game. Then we're going to finish up the show with our review of Breeze, Hill, and Winston. How did they each perform in 2020? their outlook in 2021, and who the third quarterback is expected to be in New Orleans next season if Breeze does indeed retire. As always, I'm your host, Ross Jackson, at Ross Jackson, NOLA on Twitter, editor over at CanalStreetChronicles.com, your Tuesday co-host of the Locked On NFL podcast. We got all that and a little bit of land yap for you on today's episode of Locked On Saints, your team every day. family welcome in for another episode here at locked on saints appreciate you as always for being here whether it's your first time or your next time just know i appreciate very much all the support around the show as we go through the off season here every monday through friday so let's go ahead and dig in we're taking a look now at important dates for the off season here as we embark upon the 2021 regular season so let's start off with the first most important date here and let me also shout out John Sigler over at uh, saintswire.usatoday.com over at saintswire he compiled all these dates made it very easy to find so if you need a written account for all of these go check out John's work over at saintswire so we'll start off with the first date that opens up the franchise tag window that is going to be February 23rd that's a date that a team maybe that doesn't want to let a guy go to free agency but they know they're going to have to spend a lot of time working on a deal they can put down a franchise tag And based on what the salary cap is versus the numbers of the highest five paid folks at the same position, you would end up signing that player to a one-year contract there. They can sign the franchise tag, they cannot, but either way, you can keep them around so you can work on a long-term deal or they sign it and they play on that one-year tag without getting the opportunity to negotiate elsewhere for a, uh, a contract. And so it's an easy way to keep a, a player around. It's also an easy way to piss a player off too. So ideally, we don't see the Saints go for any franchise tagging here, but there is one position and one player that might make sense depending upon what the asking price is. It's just that it's a lot of money up front in the first year. If the Saints are very desperate to keep around Marcus Williams, he's going to have about a $10.5 million franchise tag amount basically this season. That's a lot of money to put on one player at one time right now with a dropping salary cap that's going to be around $180.5 million. So it would be easier to just sign him to you know a four or five year deal that escalates over time, right? That 
Maybe he'll get paid $20 million up front because he gets a big $20 million signing bonus over that time, but really only ends up counting about $6 million against the Saints salary cap because it's a four-year deal. That signing bonus gets spread out over four years. That's $5 million plus a $1 million base salary that escalates over time. Probably a better way to go about it. But if there's any player I could see the Saints franchise tagging, it would be Marcus Williams. It's the only one that actually kind of makes a little bit of sense, but again, not enough sense to actually follow through with. And then we can get to our first date in March, March 10th, which is the first college pro day. Now remember, no combine this year. So instead of there being a combine, there are going to be official pro days and regional medical checks. So with that being the case, you're going to get essentially a couple of months of uh, of pro day action going on all throughout as opposed to the localized sort of weekend of the the combine. So it's going to start off with Arkansas on March 10th, but a couple of highlights throughout the period so far with the teams that have already scheduled theirs. Not every team has scheduled so far, but with the teams that are already scheduled, Oklahoma's on March 12th. So some fantastic players to watch there, including uh, some great offensive linemen. You've got Pittsburgh, March 17th, great defensive linemen there that should be of great interest to New Orleans. Louisiana Tech, a local team there, March 18th. TCU, March 19th. So for anybody that's interested in Trevon Morig, the uh, Horn Frogs safety that is continuously mocked to the Saints in the first round, March 19th is a day to watch for for seeing him. South Carolina is going to be on March 24th. Israel Mukwamu, as well as JC Horn, the two standout corners are going to be working out during that time or might be working out during that time. Uh, we have Mississippi, March 25th. Lots of good selections for the Saints there. Good fits in the tight end and wide receiver room. Another local day is going to be uh, Louisiana Lafayette. UL is going to be on March 29th. And then a couple more just to highlight here, Notre Dame, Florida, and North Carolina, or excuse me, Notre Dame and Florida on March 31st. Notre Dame has some great defensive linemen, some great linebackers there. Florida, great defensive linemen, Kadarius Tony, so on. And then North Carolina, April 1st on that date as well. A couple of good defensive players there. So lots of good dates to, to watch for between that March 10th through April 6th uh, slate so far of pro days, but there will be more added to that over time. And then soon after that, we get, or right in the midst of that, rather, we get into March 15th, which is the legal tampering window for teams to begin discussing free agency. So basically, March 15th is when teams can start talking to available free agents. March 17th is when teams can officially start signing free agents. So there's that two-day window to where you're going to hear things like, this player and this team verbally agreed to a contract or are expected to sign those types of things where they haven't actually signed yet. There's an expectation that they will. And then you might end up with some Anthony Barra situations where he agrees to go one place. But then when it comes time to actually put ink to paper, he ends up bouncing back to his old team, all of those things. And then March 17th is that time to where the ink is supposed to go to paper or is able to start going to paper. So that's where that happens. The teams have to be cap compliant during that time. So that's where the Saints essentially are going to be trying to get under the salary cap and then try to get to the point to where they can start signing some of these free agents. So that's a time to really keep an eye out on. And that's a little loose, right? The cap compliancy on March 17th, like that's usually a bit of a gray area to where teams are signing players and then working their way back under the cap afterwards before signings become official and all these other things. So there's still so many games that are played during that time in the Saints or amongst the best at getting it done. So those are the biggest dates to keep an eye out on as we get into the off season here for 2021. But we're not done talking about the 2020 regular season just yet. We're going back through our year in review weekly here. So we're going to wrap up our look at the team 
and their run game, their run defense in that phase of the game. And then we're going to take a look at the quarterbacks here in just a moment on today's episode of Locked on Saints, your team every day. Appreciate you very much, of course, for being here. And speaking of appreciation, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate rockauto.com and all of the help that they have given me. I just had another instance where I took my car to a dealership, right, to see I needed to get something replaced in my car and it was going to cost me somewhere around uh, the price to maybe just buy another car instead. And (laughs) instead, I went to rockauto.com and I was able to get the part for much, much cheaper. And actually turns out that the labor is not that intensive on it at all. So I was able to replace it myself. And that's what I love about rockauto.com. You put in your make, your model, your year, and they're going to give you several options for whatever the part is that you need. And they're all going to be at a fraction of the price that you might be paying elsewhere. So go and check them out, rockauto.com. Let them know what kind of car you have, what kind of vehicle you're driving, what kind of part you need, and they'll make sure that you get all taken care of and still have enough uh, money at the end of the day to maybe treat yourself to a nice coffee or something like that, or maybe some built bars. Go and check them out, rockauto.com. Don't forget to let them know that we sent you a right and locked on in the how'd you hear about us section, amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. Right, Huda Nation, get more of the sports news that you need with the Locked On Today podcast. All the biggest stories and analysis from our local experts in less than 20 minutes every day. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so as we jump in to our look at the Saints run defense, right, as we get into our year in review, this is going to wrap up our look at the entire team. We looked at offense, defense, passing, rushing, and we looked at uh, defense, passing, and now we're going to look at rushing here for the defense. And we might circle back around to look at pass rush, but we're also going to get into the nitty gritty a little bit more and talk about each position room, right? Each group uh, as well as we go through. So we'll be getting to quarterbacks here to start us off in the third segment, but let's focus on the Saints run defense here in 2020. This is a team that has finished with a top five run defense in three of the last four years, including three in a row. I really go back to 2017 to find the last uh, not top five run defense for the New Orleans Saints. This has been a bit of a calling card for their defense and the way that they've been able to produce in that area of the game. And a lot of folks have asked questions about like, is the Saints run defense really that good? Or is it because the offense forces them to score more points? Well, if you look at the offense from this year and you look at the run defense for the New Orleans Saints, you can kind of put that narrative to bed for New Orleans because yes, the Saints offense was a top five scoring offense in the NFL. In fact, they were number five in the NFL in scoring. But if you take a look at yards per attempt over yards per game allowed, that's where you can see the Saints producing at a very high level in the NFL in terms of their ability to stop the run, allowing only 3.9 yards per carry on average. That's the fourth fewest per attempt allowed across the NFL. The only teams that did better, Tampa Bay Bucks at 3.6, Indianapolis Colts at 3.7, and Los Angeles Rams at 3.8. And then there's the Saints right there at 3.9. So it literally just countered right up to them. And then you look at yards per game, the Saints right there in the same sort of nestle, right? Number four in the NFL, they're at 93.9 yards per game allowed on the ground. One of five teams to allow less than 100 rushing yards per game. The best of the NFL, of course, being the Tampa Buccaneers at 80.6. So let's just entertain this idea a little bit of the Saints not having a very good run defense that was only aided by the scoring prowess on the Saints offensive side. Let's entertain that and talk about what that might look like so we can understand why that's not the case 
for the New Orleans Saints. And the easiest way to illustrate that is to look at how many times the Saints were run against. Now, the Saints were actually only run against 390 times. That's tied for the fifth fewest or fifth lowest amount of attempts against on the ground. But let's take a look at what it would look like if they weren't a good run defense and they were aided only in that value in that other teams weren't able to run against them because they had to pass in order to keep pace. We can look at the Atlanta Falcons, for instance, or the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore Ravens, 382 rushes allowed against them or or attempted against them, rather, third fewest, 380 for the Falcons, second fewest, but on a yards per attempt basis, 4.4 yards allowed per carry by the Falcons, 4.6 average by the Baltimore Ravens. That would be maybe a less good defense in that case, right? That is a defense that is aided, even though the defense allows over four yards per carry, nearly four and a half yards per carry over four and a half in the Baltimore Ravens uh, situation or, or, or in their instance, they are aided by the fact that other teams don't run against them. That's not the case for the Saints when they were run against, even though it's the fifth fewest times in the NFL, they limited them and the opposing teams to the fourth lowest average per carry. So that is a shining example of what a good run defense can do that maybe is aided a little bit in terms of the amount of runs that they go up against by their offense, but are still very, very good when that ball is put in the hands of a running back in the backfield. So always look at the more granular data. What is the average per carry? That is the part that tells you what you need to know. And you can see the illustrations elsewhere Also, I mean, you look at the fact that the Saints allowed only 11 rushing touchdowns on the season, second fewest in the NFL. They did allow one of the, I think it's the third, yeah, it's the third longest run in the NFL though, right? 82-yard run to Miles Sanders against the Philadelphia Eagles, something that many of us will never forget. Quan Alexander picked one wrong angle and then bam, 82 yards up the field. Quan Alexander, by the way, has two features on C.J. Gardner-Johnson's album, the new EP that just came out earlier this week. So go and check that out. So sorry, I digress. <laughs> one of these days, one of these days, I'll do a segment on on the albums that these uh, Saints uh, players have put out because athlete rap is at a whole new level these days, and I'm loving it. I'm absolutely loving it. So anyway, uh, but the Saints did allow the third longest run in the NFL with that 82 yarder to Miles Sanders. But again, on a more granular basis, on a more consistent basis, and on a play by play basis, you can see that the Saints' run defense was indeed not a mirage. But again, one of the best run defenses in the NFL. Now, the Saints going into next season, what does that look like? We don't really know yet. Do they lose Trey Hendrickson? How much was Trey Hendrickson actually a value in the run game? Because we saw him struggle quite a bit in the run game. And we have over the course of his career. He's always been more of a pure pass rusher than he has been a complete defensive end a la Cameron Jordan. But losing a guy like, let's say, Sheldon Rankins and a guy like, let's say, Malcolm Brown as well, who are also potential losses for the Saints this offseason. Those would be the big issues for the Saints if they were to lose that commanding power on the interior that they have. Now, they would be able to probably fill that in free agency. Hello, Jonathan Hankins, I continue to talk about, or some of these guys that are in the draft as well. But we would have to see sort of what the exchange is there. What do they lose versus what do they gain? And then how does that affect the run defense? But there's some potential there for some brand new sort of rotations on the defensive line that are either going to be interesting for the Saints or could potentially knock down their production in the run game. And on top of that, if they do knock down the production in the run game and they're not as good against the run next year, how productive is the offense on the opposite side in the other phase of the game? And how much does that affect the opposing team's ability to run the ball? Could they become a team like 
the Baltimore Ravens, for instance, that, yeah, maybe gives up four and a half yards per carry, but ain't a lot of carries to really give up a bunch of yardage on. So they would allow just over 100 yards per game rushing as opposed to just under 100 yards per game. But they end up being able to be productive against the pass instead because the secondary looked really, really good toward the end of this season. But they have to maintain pieces there as well. So a lot of conflict going on that could all start from that front four, those front seven, if you will, even, or front six, I guess, in the Saints case, because they play a lot of nickel, that could then sort of permeate throughout the rest of the defense, the ripple effects that could happen from that point and what this defense performs and looks like in 2021. So really interesting stuff to continue to track. And obviously, we'll continue to track it here all throughout the offseason and let you know as these additions and subtractions potentially happen along a very, very important defensive line, led still by Ryan Nielsen, who did not get the Green Bay Packers job. That defensive coordinator position went to Joe Barry. That's good news because it essentially means that just about anybody you put on the defensive line is going to have some level of development with Ryan Nielsen, who has consistently proven that he's been able to provide that for these young defensive linemen. All right, so we're going to jump into the quarterbacks up next to get started with our positional year in review, which will continue through every single Wednesday. I have that coming up for you next here on Locked on Saints, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And don't forget to check out betonline.ag. It's the fastest and easiest way to get all of your sports action and bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, the NHL are in full swing, and baseball's right around the corner as well. Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, so there's no shortage at all on all the things that you can participate in and have some fun with. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can ever imagine at Bet Online because they've got you covered on all the news, scores, and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up, head over to the website or use your mobile device as well to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit by using promo code Locked On. That's promo code Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Get it, Houdat Nation. It is now officially the offseason, so make sure you check out Wednesdays over at Locked On NFL to take a deep dive into the future of your favorite NFL franchise, along with Tony Wiggins and James Rapian, who are joined every week by a Locked On Draft expert to talk about prospects for the upcoming draft, as well as young players in the NFL fresh to the league. So go ahead and check them out. Locked On NFL. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so let's jump into our first edition of Year in Review here over the offseason, which continue to update and move on position to position going through uh, on Wednesdays here on the show, unless we have a guest or something like that. You know how it goes. But let's go ahead and get started here. We're going to start off with the quarterback room to get us going. Obviously, that makes a ton of sense because quarterback is going to be the one of the big uh, sort of storylines for the New Orleans Saints this offseason. So we're going to start off with Drew Brees. Here's what we're not going to talk about. Air yards. No one cares. What we are going to talk about is accuracy because there were some things about Drew Brees this year that maybe didn't live up to the standard of what we're used to seeing from him in years before, right? In the most recent years where he's had, you know, since 2016, completed more than 70% of his passes, including this season, including this season, 70.5%. But this is what happens when you cover a guy that is as good as Drew Brees, you nitpick a little bit. So you look at sort of the more granular data and things like that to really get uh, sort of an assessment on what the performance looked like. Now, the Saints 9-3 and three with Drew Brees, 
this year. They were eight and three with him last year. Remember, he missed five games last year, missed four games this year. Last year because of the UCL tear, this year because of the 11 rib fractures, the little old, you know, deflated lung situation, like all of the things that he had going on. And then a couple of other things that Brittany Breeze, his wife, posted about on Instagram, including a rotator cuff injury, a plantar fascia injury. So he dealt with a lot all throughout the season and, of course, never had a full plethora of or the full offering of his offense throughout the season because Michael Thomas was hurt for a large part of the year, Emmanuel Sanders missed some time, so on and so forth. Not about making excuses, but impressive nonetheless that Drew Brees was able to go nine and three despite all of that in the the, the 12 games that he appeared in. But let's take a look at accuracy because that's what I'm really interested here, interested in here. So you look at some of the bad throw percentage numbers across the NFL. And Drew Brees was up a little bit from where he had been over the last few seasons. Every player, every quarterback has a certain percentage of bad throws throughout the season. It, it's going to happen. And they're usually around the 10% or above area. It's not at all out of the ordinary. But if you look at a player against himself over the last couple of years, maybe you can get a little bit of a uh, trend that you might see. So Drew Brees, not really much of an elevation in that stat or in that metric, let me say, from 2018 to 2017, or excuse me, 2019. 2018, 10.3%. 2019, 10.7%. 0.4% rise there. Not really that big of a deal, considering he also threw fewer passes in 2019 than he threw in 2018 because he missed five games. So unsurprising there. But he played and threw, he played the same amount of games, or actually played one more game in 2020 and threw more passes in 2020 than he threw in 2019 but ended up with a bad pass percentage of 13.4%. So off-target throws, you saw a lot more of those from Drew Brees. They're not really a lot more. It was literally the numbers, 39 in 2019, 51 in 2020. So not that much more, but basically based off of the amount of passes that he threw, the percentage is a little bit higher. So that's the, the quality portion of it as opposed to the quantity portion of it. The on-target passes of 308, Still accumulated 80.8%, but included 21 drops and included some pass breakups where defensive backs just made outstanding plays. So you did see a lot more on-target passes from Drew Brees than you saw off-target passes from Drew. There's no doubt about that, but you did see a little bit of, again, we're nitpicking here because of Drew Brees' greatness. You look at it and you say, okay, well, you saw a little bit of a struggle there in terms of a heightened uh, amount of uh, off-target throws. He was also under pressure uh, 14.6%. In this season, not much more than last year, 13.8%, sacked only 13 times on the year and still got about 2.4 seconds of pocket time, if you will. And we did see more play actions from Drew Brees this season. We saw 55 over the past couple of years. That number has increasingly gone up a little bit. So we saw that particularly toward the back end of the season after they had some time with uh, Taysom Hill. They included it a bit in Drew Brees' game again, 430 yards off of play action. So those are the more granular things, but we know the general evaluation of Drew Brees throughout the 2020 season. Didn't have to do a ton, had a lot of uh, of playmakers around him that allowed him to be able to just dump the ball off and then let them create. But we did see a little bit of that same drop-off once we got into the playoffs. Looked good against the Chicago Bears, but then was all of a sudden under pressure a ton against the Tampa Buccaneers and struggled a bit in that game through three interceptions, of course, to close out the season and potentially close out his career. But that's not what we're going to remember about Drew Brees, and we all know what we are going to remember. So he threw uh, 275 completed passes, 2,942 yards, 24 touchdowns to only six interceptions, and a 1.5 interception 
uh, percentage there on the way. The only other quarterback to really throw passes for the New Orleans Saints in 2020 was Taysom Hill. Want to look at the same sort of advanced analytics analytics, excuse me, on his passing. Uh, we take a look at the bad throw percentage, 13.6%. So right around the same place as Drew Brees, 79.7% of on-target passes. Remember, Drew Brees' was 80.8. So not far off in terms of what he was able to provide in that same area. You did see 16 play action passes during this, or play action attempts, 253 yards. So you saw more yards per play on his play actions than you saw with Drew Brees' play actions. We will take a look at the intended air yards for uh, for Taysom Hill, because I do think that it's interesting to take a look at that uh, intended air yards per pass attempt, only seven yards in this one. So not a huge boost from, uh, not a huge change, let me say, in terms of what he was asked to do as a passer from what Drew Brees was asked to do. And then of course, Jameis Winston as well. He got in there for a couple of games uh, or a couple of different times throughout the season. His intended air yards per pass, only 4.6. And of course, not a ton that he was asked to do during that time, but did throw that beautiful touchdown on the trick play uh, up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the divisional round of the playoffs. I'm sure that felt very, very good for him. But that's pretty much your review. I mean, you know, it, there's not really much sense in taking a look at Jameis Winston's full on season because he appeared at the end of the San Francisco 49ers game. And then you saw him a couple of times sporadically throughout but you did get to see him for the full second half there to where you saw accuracy look really good early on. And then you saw him get very uncomfortable once the pressure started to come through by San Francisco. Taysom Hill went three and one in his four starts in place of Drew Brees over the course of the season. Did a lot of everything, right? He was able to run. He was able to pass. He gave you another dimension really at the quarterback position. But then you lost a dimension in terms of the passing ability to uh, Alvin Kamara and the inability just because of preparation's sake to run a two-minute drill in a hurry-up offense. Those are things that you'll probably see improved upon over the course of this offseason in case he sees the field again. But the expectation for 2021 is that Jameis Winston's in the driver's seat for that starting position. According to Ian Rappaport, everyone within the Saints organization is expecting Drew Brees to retire. If that is the case, they're looking to Jameis Winston to be the starter to begin the 2021 season with Taysom Hill as the number two, being able to play his usual Swiss Army knife role, but also be there if they decide that Jameis Winston ain't it, and then they can move to Taysom Hill at any point within the regular season. I think that the third quarterback for the Saints, I don't think it's going to be a rookie. I don't think they're going to draft a quarterback in the draft unless somebody falls. I think it's going to be Trevor Simeon. Trevor Simeon was signed last year onto the practice squad. He got a future reserve contract. He'll be there in camp. I think he's going to be the first clipboard holding traditional backup quarterback that the Saints have had probably since Chase Daniel. They've really focused on the heir apparent behind Drew Brees, Teddy Bridgewater, Jameis Winston, Taysom Hill mold. Now they finally have a guy that they can go back to that is the on the sideline clipboard holding backup quarterback. I think it'll be Trevor Simeon in 2021. I think that's one of the reasons why they signed him. One of the reasons why they kept him around is because they want him to serve that role. He's done it before for other high profile quarterbacks. He can do it again for Jameis Winston slash Taysom Hill. And of course, with Sean Payton at the helm. All right, y'all, that is going to do it for today's episode of Locked on Saints. We'll be back tomorrow, top three Thursday. We're taking a look at the best three wins of the Saints 2020 season. I'm going to start off positive over with that series, as well as any news and notes of the day. And you'll probably hear a little bit of Locked on today tomorrow as well. So uh, some bonus stuff coming to you this week all across the network. So we appreciate you very much, as always, for coming through. I look forward to hollering at you tomorrow. Once again, you can follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson, N-O-L-A. Hit me up. Let me know how the family's doing. Let me know how you're living. Let me know how you're mom and them. Tell your friends, family, and fellow Saints fans about the show. If you haven't already, please take a moment to subscribe. Drop that five-star rating and review. I thank you so much for all your support. 
and for helping me grow this family. This has been Locked on Saints and Trust Who Nation. I'll holla at you.